You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential. I am Mike Casaza for Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 network. Guess what, gang? West Virginia lost on the road again, and... This just keeps getting worse. We'll make it better right now and bring in Chris Anderson. Have you run out of words or explanations, <laughs> patience, optimism? Uh, no. I, I don't know what to think. I feel like we're in Groundhog Day. A lot of the same issues, uh, a lot of the same uh, stuff we saw on the court, same result, and... To be quite frank, a lot of the same comments from Bob Huggins after the game. So uh, it's it's getting kind of repetitive, I feel like. We see these things happen in those prolonged stretches where it just doesn't look good. And I think if we, um, if we sat down with people who watch closely or people who have read our work or people who just have a casual interest, um, three different types of groups could probably – narrow down common problems and we're talking turnovers uh 15 more tonight we're talking bad free throw shooting uh, 10 for 21 tonight things like that that have been you know characteristically bad what's concerning to me is that there are things popping up that just aren't good that aren't indicating that these people are working together or marching together to get back of it and a lot of people are big into the body language or, hey, let's watch the bench and see how things go. And maybe that's an extension of guys not hanging out as much together away from the games or not getting in the gym as much to be together and also work on basketball. But there seem to be some chemistry experiments that are just not passing right now. And there were times today where there was sniping, there was gesturing, there was eye rolling. That was on the floor. That was on the bench. Um, and maybe that's part and parcel when you're losing on the road and you're playing a two-game road trip and when nothing's going right when things aren't getting better but that was one thing and then just kind of an unwillingness of people to really take shots or get good shots and you know you made these changes with some players to see if they can shoot and see if they can score and it just didn't seem like that they were either willing or able right here too these are bad signs on top of bad trends right yeah absolutely I think uh the the body language you know I, I early in the first half even before uh the incident that I know you noted uh, between Culver and McBride, I, I was like, I, I said something about the the, the disgust. It's a, I almost want to go so far as to say disgust is, is palpable between some of these guys on this team and how they feel about their play or their effort or what's going on. And yes, of course, losing a bunch of games, losing five of six, losing these games on the road to teams that you've already beaten by 30 plus points is going to exacerbate those problems. But those th- these are some underlying issues that have been festering to the surface over the last couple of months. And it's crazy to look back on it because we talked about it on this podcast after that one game where Bob Huggins just randomly brought up, hey, these guys just get sick and tired of banging against each other in practice and fouling each other and guarding each other. And they just get tired of it. And we said... Boy, that was a strange thing for him to just randomly bring up because mm-hmm. he's not going to randomly bring up that for no reason. There was a reason he brought that up, and it was because apparently something is, was going on, and it, it seems to be lingering as the season goes on. 
Yeah, the incident that there was two incidents, and you had to narrow it down when you're talking about the Culver incidents here, but there was a technical foul on Chaka Smart in the second half, and I thought they called it on Culver for just reaming McBride for not passing in the ball. There were times you know, early in the first half where he's working and working, isn't getting it. Um, there was a time where Osaboyan passed the ball to nobody because he thought that McNeil was going to cut, and he didn't. Um, there were times they were trying to wave McNeil around to do some stuff. Taz Sherman and, and got some heat, and Chase Harler got some heat for their defense. And perhaps this is something where guys are speaking up and saying, enough's enough, you got to be better than this because we're not better than this right now. But perhaps it is just the weight of February on these people. And I guess the good thing is that February is the shortest month and that you know they'll be out of this soon. The bad thing is they got another February game coming up against a team that's already beat them and is just absolutely not going to be scared. Um this is poor. I'm wondering if it's really a surprise because um, these games are just following a script now. It sounds so repetitive, and I understand that, but I don't think this team has earned the benefit of the doubt anymore to say, well, they're better or, well, they won't do that again, which kind of concerns me because in the regular season um, they haven't heard it. I don't think you can give them a benefit of the doubt for postseason seeding. Um, so if they're on that 4-5 line, we talked about this. What have they done? Who have they beaten? Because – Chris, you and I were talking about, let's say they get healthy and win four or five games here at the end. They're not even winning him right now. So I think they've lost the confidence in themselves, but also the confidence in the outside now. Yeah, I don't see any way they can really finish higher than a four seed unless they get a huge run in the Big 12 tournament. And I mean, I don't see that happening with the way they're playing right now. Um, And you know, Joe Lenardi, the ESPN bracketologist, went on the air during the game and said basically every single loss for West Virginia is half a seed or a full seed, and every single time they lose. And so I think, you know, with this te- loss to Texas, they might be sliding down to a six seed and then still got, I mean, are you hoping for, you know, two wins in the last couple here, or, or is that even a stretch now, too? So, it, I don't think there's any way we're talking about them not making it. I think they're a lock, but they're they're quickly sliding down. It's just wild to think one month ago they were a two seed by everyone's measure. If they lose out, they're on the bubble. You think so? I mean, you're talking a 19-win team that's going to have 12 or 13 losses and just tanked at the end of the season, and is going to have an Iowa State loss. Um, I think that's a bridge too far. I think we're maybe panicking too much there. But, again, these are conversations you have now because uh, do, you, do you think this team can go into Hilton and score 70, 75 points? Now, granted, can Iowa State score 70 or 75? I don't necessarily know that. But, um, Again, like the again, if they get to twenty, but they lose in the first round of the tournament, and the only thing they did in the last month and a half was to beat Oklahoma State and Iowa State. I'm not, I'm not positive that does. The year, the year is not great for the bubble. There's a lot of teams, and and there's plenty. There's not a lot of teams. There's plenty of case to make for West Virginia. But man, those Northern Iowa games and those Wichita State games are so early in the season. You look at, you know, they're losing a the bottom half Big Twelve teams, and they're actually kind of trending toward the bottom half right now, and also. St. John's isn't good. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. There's a world, though, where things get worse than they are. And somebody in some room in Indianapolis is having a conversation saying, hey, are we sure about this? 
how far down what, what what's how far down in the league can they fall now i mean because with tonight's loss they're now tied with texas for or texas has now tied them for fourth in the conference oklahoma or tcu will be tied with them shortly within the next day or two uh, i believe they play next and they're both six and eight so one will be seven and eight i guess that's as far as they can go because no, they're not going to slide all the way down to iowa state at four and ten but this has been talked about as a five-team league for quite some time now. Um, it was a four-team league with maybe with Oklahoma kind of being that fifth team once they beat West Virginia, mm-hmm. and then they've lost a couple in a row since then. And so maybe it's a four-team league, maybe it's a five-team league, and West Virginia might finish sixth, seventh in the league. Yeah, That's I looked at this look. Sunday. The magic number for Texas Tech to clinch the three was some combination of its wins and West Virginia losses totaling three. So one down, two to go. The three is out of the question now. Um, they can finish seventh. They can't finish eight, nine, or ten, I believe. Um, they can finish seventh, but that's going to require TCU to really finish strong, and they have to play Kansas and Baylor. I don't know that they're good enough to do that. So most likely sixth, possibly fifth. Fourth is hard now because Texas, I believe, has Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech left. Um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are teams they can beat. Oklahoma, I'm not out on them. Um, They've lost to Kansas and Baylor. Um, Funny what happens when you play those two teams back-to-back. They can make good teams look bad. Um, So, again, they're going to be a matchup problem with the perimeter players, and they're not going to be scared of West Virginia. They're going to have good guard play, and they're going to be well-coached and run good offense on – I, it wouldn't shock me if they won that game. So then all of a sudden you're seven and nine and teams are pulling even and pulling above you right now too. The thing that you have to watch is Texas's schedule is pretty navigable the rest of the way. So that's a team that can get up and stay up right there too. So, um, and again, if you're talking about the seven place team in the big 12 and you're really talking about honestly a three team league at this point, <laughs> are we making room right. for a seven place team? Cause that means you're sweeping Oklahoma and Texas in there too. And I'm just, and maybe TCU, I'm not sure, but like, I don't think TC is going to finish six. I don't think you're talking about the seventh place team, but like if it does get to that, I mean, if it gets to that situation where they're in seventh place, that's a really hard conversation to have. I think and I, I want to keep saying this. I cannot believe we're having these conversations about this team. I can't believe it. I never saw this coming as, as recently as um, probably like even losing to Kansas. I thought they played pretty well at home. I just didn't think that they were in this bad of a state. Whew. It's, I, I, I don't even know if I want to speculate on that anymore. I I did want to bring up something back with the game, mm-hmm. and it's something else that we've kind of talked about. Um, and, you know, we've 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 discussed the shooting issues, we've discussed some attitude problems, but the subbing you, you were keeping track of it during the game. I'll let you you float with, to me your your thoughts on it overall. What did you think of the, of the subbing? You, you noted I think you said ten in the first half. I'll say this, which was they they just they still have not figured out what to do with Colburn Sheboy. It's 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 an anchor, it's an albatross, it's divisive. You can tell. And Huggins has talked about this. He's gotten the the data and the information and the advice, and he doesn't agree with it. Um, and and he has switched midstream and put his guys in. And again, um, whether it's one or two, you're you're putting guys in the paint to stop West Virginia. You're not putting guys in the perimeter, so it doesn't change the defense playing them in there. And then. Those two just didn't have it again tonight, and I thought Sheway played okay, but Colver just looked like he lost his mind at times out there and just 
he was carrying frustrations on offense to defense, and I'm not even sure we can say he played a lot of defense or great defense. Um, but because of that, you know, late on in the season, they tried to reinvent things a little bit and reconfigure their lineups. And, you know, tonight was a different starting lineup. They only ever used once. They played Taz Sherman, who I think you have to get shots. Um, he was not good tonight, but he barely played. And I don't know if you can look at just a handful of possessions tonight and say that guy's not good when he got 45 or 46 points in the past three games. So which one is it? The guy that you were building up for two or three games and putting him in the starting lineup or the guy who just didn't maybe have the perfect start? Because that same guy who didn't have the perfect start didn't have great starts the past two or three games, but he shot himself into form. So he gets a quick hook um, probably five minutes in the game. But like to answer your question here, um, it's those things are kind of intertwined with the point. They don't know what they are, what they're doing right now. Their offense is so bad, let's put perimeter guys in. They can't shoot. Um, their offense is so bad, let's throw it to the post guys. Well, the defense is stopping the post, and they're kind of going in different directions in the same game. What stood out to me was that they played the starting five for, I don't have the number, but like the first five-plus minutes. And then they brought in five subs quickly. So within seven minutes of the game, they played ten people. They hadn't played anybody from the bench in the first five minutes and then just 10 subs in the first half for 10 players which is pretty liberal I mean that's not a bad thing 13 subs in the second half and Chris I know you'll talk about this the lineup you have on the floor to end the game has to have McNeil Sherman McBride some combination of those guys and Oscar Shibway who's the best offensive rebounder they have and one of the best in the country it didn't happen yeah that was the biggest I mean well I don't want to say the biggest because the Culver, the whole the whole Culver performance tonight is going to get its own film film review later this week because <laughs> his uh, his I mean the defense I can't even say he was playing defense he was literally just standing there at times his man was setting picks and he would just stand and. No hedging, no opening the gate to let his man go through. Uh, he would get mad when somebody else got a rebound and just flail his arms in the air and just kind of walk back to his man. Uh, I mean, it was it was a sight to see. And I, I'm going to go into more detail on that later in the week. But the second biggest thing was that last, uh, what was it, four or five minutes? I know it, I know it was this lineup after the under four timeout, but... West Virginia's desperate for points, trying to make a comeback, and on the floor is a frustrated and terrible shooting Derek Culver with four guys who are, or three other guys who are incapable of making a shot outside of about 10 feet, and an ice-cold Chase Harler that had been benched for the last hour and a half. Um, Gabe Osaboyan cannot make a shot. I mean, he was missing layups from three feet away that actually hit the other side of the backboard before it hit the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmett, Emmett Matthews, I he's so far gone shooting-wise. I mean, his shots are not even close today. Um, Jermaine Haley, uh, I, I like Jermaine Haley. I like his game, but he's not an outside shooter. He he gets to the rim. but And Chase Harler is a career 31% three-point shooter that has been ice cold lately and was benched. And you're be- you, you have on the bench... Oscar Shibwe, as you noted, who's been killing it on the glass, who was maybe their best offensive player this game and was also grabbing the offensive rebounds. Uh, Sean McNeil, who was 3-for-3 from beyond the arc, the only person to hit a shot from three. Taz Sherman, who, again, like you said, 
they had been building up as their offensive star for the last three games, and then he only gets, was it 12 minutes, and he's not out there. So it's just, I, I don't even know what that lineup is or what it was meant to accomplish because it was not offense, and they were already playing good defense. It, it just, it's continuing a, a worrisome trend of just odd odd timing with lineups and just very strange lineups together guys that don't fit well together they don't complement each other at all yeah and you're down you know seven eight nine points there if mcneil hits one he pulls everybody away and he was effective in the first half not just the three threes he gave him space and which was just visibly obvious because it never happens but um, he makes a couple he pulls the defenders out they put she and culver in and they have room to run high low stuff and it works um, so again, you know, he can make shots. Sherman probably deserves a chance. McBride's your, honestly, as, as down as he's been, he's the one guy with the ball in his hands. He think might get lightning in a bottle and go, he checked out with three fifty-five to go. So you're playing that whole under four with guys who can't shoot and guys who are going to have a hard time, you know, making that deficit up and, you know, free throw shooting is going to be a problem for a handful of those guys too. Osaboy and Culver and... Uh, maybe Matthews, maybe Haley, I'm not sure. But just no one there is a dynamic offensive player in the sense that you have to. Maybe you catch it and you can score. You're going to have to do that. Honestly, if you're going to play it inside, you're going to have to do that five or six times to make up an eight- or nine-point deficit. Um, just really strange, too. And just I don't know. But, like, again, I'm looking at the box score and I'm looking at who did what and everything. And, you know, you want to get McBride going. He took four shots. Um, McNeil took five. He didn't take a three in the second half. You know, Sherman... Uh, only took two shots. Okay, didn't play very much, but you know, that's an iffy thing. But Haley, seven. Matthews, five. Um, those are your guards and your wing players that got shots after Culver and Shibway, who both were five of eight. Um, it's hard to explain. It just seems like that they're pulling in different directions and, and just can't agree on how to get there or, or who's going to get there, and never mind what they're going to do when they get there. And Don't know what their solution is because, again, they're going to they're gonna have – I don't know if they can play two bigs against um, Doolittle and Manic, but they're probably going to have to. But, I mean, if those two are on the perimeter, it's going to be hard to guard them because they're perimeter guys and they're not like, you know, pick and roll guys who are going to dash to the basket. They're pick and pop guys who are going to take threes. And, you know, their guard play was pretty good last game, but those two in particular really hurt them with the way that they played those ball screens and the way they were able to just kind of you know, take advantage of that front court matchup. Well, on the offense, the, the the perimeter players, I don't even, I I don't want to completely, I don't want to, I, I mean, I'm gonna say it, but I feel like I want to go back and watch the film to be more sure. But I, at first glance, I feel like they're kind of just passing it around. No one's again. We've gone over this, so I guess we have seen it already, but. No one's ready to score. No one is in like the old triple threat position. I don't even know if they call it that anymore. But in a stance, ready to dribble, pass, or shoot at any given moment, uh, they seem to just kind of be floating around and and just kind of lobbing it back and forth, kind of looking inside, but never really passing it inside. At least not when they're supposed to. It it, it, it it's bad. It's it's really bad. Free throw shooting tonight is ten of twenty one. Jordan McCabe, Sean McNeil, Derek Culver, Derek Culver, Derek Culver missed the front end of one-on-ones. Two in the first half mm. by McCabe and McNeil, and that was when it was a four-point game. Could have been tied after being down 11. That would have been a pretty impressive run by them. And then 
uh, on fouls seven, eight, and nine, Culver goes over one, over one, over one. Um, so ten of twenty-one. It's actually ten of twenty-six. Um, and the ones by Culver were big. One was after a technical foul. Uh, one was after a shot he probably should have made and didn't make. And one was, I believe, posting up. Um, actually, no, both were posting up. But one, I think he tried a continuation, didn't work. But anyways. Um, needed those points because Texas just could not put them away. Tried and tried and tried to like let West Virginia loiter and linger and make up the deficit or at least make it a little bit more nerve-wracking than the Mountaineers ultimately did. But I don't want to say it cost them the game, but it's a different game if, I don't know, if they hit those and ones or if they hit the one and ones or if they hit just, I don't know, half of the 11, well, actually – half of the 16 free throw, 15 free throws that they missed if we count the missed one-on-ones. Um, be right back in this game as a one-possession, maybe a one-shot game at the end. But um, I think that's the most telling thing about this team is that they've been a lousy free throw shooting from the very beginning. Um, not great offensively, I get that, but like that's just that's not a hard thing to do. It's not, and it's also not a hard thing to get better at because you, know, you can spend time. You don't have to do it at practice. You can do it before class, after class. You know, It's a way to get better is just shooting and repeating and none of these guys it seems like have taken to that except maybe Sheway who's four or five tonight and McNeil who more often than not makes it but just doesn't get there very often yeah and, and that probably ties into you know Huggins Huggins rant uh in post game about you know guys again just not getting into the gym um bizarre post game though bizarre post game because the over legislation of the NCAA and uh, surveys given out to tennis players and swimmers and wrestlers. Um, I wasn't sure where he was going there. <laughs> it just seemed like he's yeah. out, he's out of material here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it was a lot of the same stuff, but then he tried to sprinkle in a, a few a few comments that kind of led him down some strange paths. There. Let's uh, wrap it up on this. Um, this is the most down that I think fans who are supportive, realistic, and around or up or down, but around this every year. I think it's the most down that ever been on Huggins here. You think that's accurate? I do. Which is crazy I, because I this is still a pretty good turnaround, and you bring this point up a lot. Like, if in November you had said, hey, 19-9, would you take it? People probably would because of how bad last year was. But this has been off of a cliff pretty quickly here. But um, – I think we agree on that. What's fair fodder as far as criticism? And what is maybe reactionary and too emotional or not understanding the reality of this team, which is that it's still very young, but also what's fair in regard of offensive limitations, substitutions, skill development? Well, I think everybody does need to get a little more realistic expectations for the team, but because, yeah, you're right. This team was terrible last year brought in a bunch of new guys that they're trying to integrate into the system and turn it around or go into the NCAA tournament. And, but I think I, I get where the frustration is coming from because the issues are the same. They are the same every game. They're not different. They're not. And it's not even against in some of these cases. I mean, obviously Kansas Baylor are elite top three in the country level teams, but some of these losses are, are games. It's games like these two right here, TCU and Texas, where you beat them, by a combined 70 points Mm -hmm. and then go on the road and lose um, both of those games to those two teams and have the same issues that you've been having the last couple weeks and that you didn't 
uh, you kind of did have the first time around, but I, I get it. And it, it, it's it's funny you mentioned this because I was actually looking up something earlier today. I was comparing, I was looking at some site numbers for our site and compared to last year, which is what you know we often do, comparing year over year numbers. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge spike right about a year and a week ago this time. Can you, do you remember what might have happened around this time, a little over a year ago? Uh, Ahmad and Harris disappeared. Correct. And that was that was just over a year ago. Just obviously big news, two starters being dismissed from this team that was going downhill. And I went back and checked some of our stories and checked some of the message board posts in the days after that news broke. And it was far more positive in the, like, say, five to seven days after that happened than it is right now. That team was sub-500, just dismissed two starters, everything going wrong, and people were happier with what was on the court in the next game than what they're seeing right now. I think that the reality is a little bit warped by beating Oklahoma. And remember, they darn near lost that game on a buzzer beater. Um, and Texas Tech, which is a good win, don't get me wrong, but you beat Grand Canyon, you get blown out by Coastal Carolina in the CBI, eh, what have you really done? And the final ten games, I still want to say they were five and five or six and four. It wasn't like they went nine and one toward the finish. It didn't. Um, but it was clearly a better team at the end of the year and more optimistic for this season. I'm not defending Huggins here as someone who's scared of him or isn't going to ask him hard questions or whatever. And I, listen, we've talked about substitution patterns, and I think skill development and game planning and things like that is, is fair, and we've discussed that, and it's applicable. I don't think that in his lowest moments in the preseason where he's thinking of best case, worst case, or having discussions with his conversation, that he suspects that McCabe and Matthews are going to give him nothing this season. Um, I don't suspect that he thought it would be this difficult to incorporate Shibway and Culver as he has. Um, and then even late on into this season, um, I do think that he saw the need to change things and he saw the finish line of this team coming way quicker than he thought in Kansas city and in the NCAA tournament. And I think that some of these changes he's made, he's trying to avoid that as best as he can, because the devil you know is one thing, and the devil you don't know is the other. And I think that he's kind of dancing with the devil he doesn't know a little bit here, and that's affecting their performance now. And, like, it's it's kind of a risky thing, a little mad science. You know, try to do something different here because if he sticks with what he's doing, it's not going to work. So I think people did want him to make some changes, and he has. It just hasn't worked. And, again, he can't supplement things with McCabe and Matthews like he thought he would be able to at the beginning of the year. Um, you're asking two junior college players who were, you know, just guys for a while to carry things now. That's hard. But I think he's trying to do that because that's his best option there. And, again, just the the two bigs has been a a tricky thing for them to juggle all season. Um, I just don't think that a lot of people would have predicted these variables this year to turn out this way. But, again, the best part here is that perhaps some of these changes work out and maybe he's the guy who – I don't know if Cat and Canary is the right way to put this right now, but perhaps his team – does get his act together perhaps it flexes some accountability and then gets some offense and maybe it just makes the most of these past three games so uh, wouldn't be strange for them to beat Oklahoma at home to win at Iowa State and then you know to have a good crowd and a lot of momentum and 
you know, maybe they get a little bit of the uptick that Texas had tonight by having some wins at their back and then playing a little bit better and, you know, they can beat Baylor here and all of a sudden you salvage your seating and you go into the postseason in Kansas City and maybe the NCAA tournament if you do well in Kansas City with, you know, momentum they haven't had for a while. Uh, they are capable. We've seen that. I don't think you should sell all the stock right now, but again, benefit of the doubt has been difficult to maintain or even attain at this point of the season. Out of time. We'll wrap it up now. Looking forward to uh, dissecting this one, getting ready for the rest of the week, and then Chris Anderson will have the ball all weekend. I will be gone, out of town, bachelor party. Very important occasion. Hate to miss it, but I'm going to have to, but got a feeling I know how the game is going to go. I don't know how it will end, but I know how it will go. So we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by.